What's happening, lovely people? This is Mr. No Excuses and my man, Jamie. Yo, what's going on? With another episode of the Hidden Truths Podcast. We got a lovely guest in the building. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Um, it's Sharika Comfort, but most people just call me Rika or Rika Pesos. I'm Rika Pesos on every social handle. Gotcha. Um, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Rika Pesos. I, no doubt, no doubt. Now, Rika is very dope, very dope individual, which you'll see as we get into today's conversation. Before we jump too deep into that, got a spotlight, community spotlight that I want to put out there. Uh, a company called Scent Bags, S-C-E-N-T Bags, B-A-G-Z. Found them on the gram. They do basically scent bags. You can hang them in your house, car, basically deodorizers, good scents. So I ordered about three or four of them about a month ago. Got one in my car that's still been lasting that long. Very dope. And I got some mangoes, some cherry, all the above. They are very good flavors. Some brothers down in Miami. Mm. So be sure to check them out. They're on IG. Again, that's Scent Bags. S-C-E-N-T-B-A-G-Z. Scent Bags. You can order it. They'll have it to you within about a week or so. So definitely check them out. Very dope product. So you tell me this is better than the regular things that we get, the little trees to hang up with the forest <laughs> scents and the black oh, yeah. ice. Yeah, yeah, much better, much better. Now, I didn't see black ice on their website, though. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> but it did have, you know, all your tropical scents. But, yeah, it was much better than the trees because, you know, the trees, after about two weeks, they done. Oh, yeah, my dollar store scents don't last that long. So, you know, I got to change up a little bit. Yeah, you got <laughs> Yeah, so check them out. And Wait, they, they sell the trees in the dollar store? Oh, yeah. I mean, they sell them things everywhere. Dollar, dollar trees sells dollar dollar stuff that's where i go <laughs> <laughs> so yeah definitely be sure to check them out um like i said i got them in my car i got one in my car but you can put them in your house wherever you got something that needs to be deodorized so check now them how out. much we talking i think it was maybe three to four dollars a bag oh that's not bad no nah, it ain't bad at all so hmm. that's why i said i got about three or four of them so you think one of them last year at least a good month. I say at least a month because that's how long it's been since I've had mine. Four dollars for a month. Right. Nah, that's nothing, especially when it's supporting uh, supporting the culture. So yeah, definitely my check car them out. smell like tacos right now. <laughs> <laughs> I like tacos. I wonder if that's going to mm, tacos. Well, you know her last name Peso, so that makes uh, sense. That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go ahead and jump into today's topic. The Pipeline to Prison. The modern day education system. Very interesting, yet very timely topic, especially as we observe some of the things that we see in the school system. I mentor a lot of kids, a lot of youth, spend some time with them in schools, and some of the things I see just blows my mind. And some of the questions that I ask are what are we preparing our kids for? Are we preparing them for success or are we preparing them for? the prison industrial complex failure so that's what we want to chop it up today and i brought rika on because uh, you used to teach in the school system right yeah so i um pretty much my entire career um from my junior year of college up until 2017 so up until last year i was um teaching i've taught everything from first grade esl eighth grade english um, sixth and seventh grade writing high school um, English and freshman composition. So from elementary up, I've done pretty much every level. And what are you doing now? 
Um, so now I'm on the other side of the fence. I work in education reform. I work, I'm the North Carolina director for a national nonprofit called Students for Education Reform. Um, and I got into nonprofit work based on some of the things I saw as a teacher um, and feeling like if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. And our education system is a problem. So working as a teacher, I felt like I was contributing to the school to prison pipeline. So I started working in ed reform. So perfect segue into first question that I want to put out there. What are some of the issues that you saw in the school system uh, as a teacher? First of all, where, where were you teaching at, if, if you could say? Um, I taught in Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools. Um, I won't pinpoint any specific schools, right, right, right. but I've worked in CMS um, pretty much my whole teaching career. So what were some, some of the issues that you saw when you were in the CMS system? Um, how long we got? <laughs> well, we got 30 minutes now because somebody showed up late. See, Charlotte traffic, that's that's all we're going to blame. But that's um, a whole other topic. We can spend some time on this traffic in Charlotte, boy. Yeah, right. Indeed. indeed. <laughs> um, but I think a shorter list is like, what are some problems I didn't see in okay. CMS? And one of the things that I didn't see is they're not teaching kids how to think. They're not preparing them um, for life after public education. So after K through 12, students don't graduate with a post-secondary plan. Um, the literacy skills, like students are being pushed through, which is a huge contributor to the school to prison pipeline because what happens is, and that's actually one of the campaigns I'm working on with students for education reform, um, is we're asking that the district raise the graduation requirements. Right now, to get out of CMS, you just need 24 credit hours and to complete a senior graduation project. Um, but when you think about that, it's the reason why Charlotte is 50 out of 50 in terms of upper mobility, but it's like the second fastest growing city in the country. So how are we such a rapidly growing city, but our upper mobility level is low, which means if you're born into poverty in Charlotte, you're three times more likely to remain in poverty than in any other city. What do you mean by 50 out of 50? I'm sorry. We're ranked we're, lowest. We're ranked, we're ranked lowest Charlotte in is terms ranked of upper lowest. mobility. Yeah. In terms of the 50 cities that were ranked, we were ranked the lowest. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. So I you're more likely to remain in poverty if you're born into poverty. And um, I mean, it's the reality. Poverty and education are in the, are linked. You can't unlink the two. The higher your level of education, the higher um, chance of success financially you have. And so um, with with that being said, we're asking the district to raise graduation requirements um, to require a minimum 2.0 GPA average or some sort of career technical education certification. Hold on, back up for a minute. You said we're trying to raise it to 2.0. Raise it to a 2.0. Right so now, what there's, is it now, there's no GPA requirement. Oh, there is no GPA requirement. So you no have to graduate with whatever? You just need 24 credit hours and to complete a senior graduation project. Now, is that just... From, from your knowledge, is that just here? Or is it a lot of places that's like that? Um, there are quite a few places that don't have GPA requirements, but then there are quite a few that do. Um, and so when you look at the state of education in North Carolina, it's one of those situations where it would benefit the city um, and the students to have graduates to raise the graduation requirements because the upper mobility level is so low here, because CMS is hyper-segregated, um, the majority of schools are hyper-segregated by race and socioeconomic status. So when you're dealing with that type of hyper-segregation, um, if you're talking equity and you want to level the playing field, we need to create some sort of standard and raise expectations for students across the board to make sure that black and brown students are um, able to achieve after high school. Because if you get a diploma and it doesn't have any value, then what's the point of having a diploma? So then what happens? So we raise it up to, what you said, 2.0? 2.0 minimum. 2.0 minimum. What 
what kind of reactions from this action do you see? Um, we've been going into schools and actually speaking to students because the common misconception is that students don't want to perform, um, and that's not actually true. The problem is when you set the bar low, then you have low performance because the expectations are low. If you raise the expectations and then put the supports in place um, to make sure that the expectations are met, then you'll see a different outcome for students. And to piggyback on your point in terms of no requirements in order to graduate or be promoted, one of the things that I noticed a few years ago, maybe about three years ago, when I was spending some time in the school system with some of my kids, some of my students, back in the day, we had a seven, eight point grading scale, you know, 93 or 92 to 100 yeah, was seven a point seven point scale. Yeah. Now, or within the past three years, it's a 10 point scale. Right. So they've lowered the expectations mm-hmm. and you would expect that if it's easier to get an A or a B, that more students will be achieving those marks. More students will be having the 3.0s, the 4.0s, but even that has not helped. So obviously, lowering the bar just makes people achieve lower. I'll do you one better. In most schools now throughout the district, they teachers are not allowed to assign zeros. So what happens if I get everything wrong? Then you had the, I believe the lowest they can give them is a 50% for the effort. So I get 50% for signing my name. Essentially, basically. Wow. So teachers are not allowed to sign, assign zeros. Is that any, that's any, just CMS? That's happening in most schools throughout CMS, yeah. Most wow. high schools, I should say, throughout CMS. So really, you, you just have to do the bare minimum. I mean, you can Sometimes get Sometimes you don't have to do that. You have programs like Credit Recovery, which is a national um, program. It's a byproduct of Bush's No Child Left Behind. Mm-hmm. Um, where and that was another thing I wanted to hit on, too. Yeah. <laughs> the No Child Left no Behind child that behind. left everybody behind. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you have like programs such as Credit Recovery where you can fail an unlimited number of classes and then take these online modules and get your credits. Um, and you can take these quizzes as many times as you need to. Students have learned how to cheat the system. So they hop on Google, Google the answers, plug them in. And as long as you complete these learning modules, you get credit for the course. So this when I was in school. Right. You, wouldn't have you don't that want when that. You, you don't school. want that. But um, you don't want that crutch. So what's happening is you're seeing schools that have really high graduation numbers because you, you remember you just need 24 credits to graduate. Right. So you have really high graduation numbers, but then really low proficiency scores. So on the ACT exam, for example, Harden High School, and not to just single them out, but it's the statistic that stood out. In 2017, their graduation numbers were 77%. So 77% of their students graduated in a four-year time period. Which looks great on paper. Looks amazing on paper. But if you look at their ACT readiness scores, so out of the students who took the ACT readiness exam, which kind of tells you how prepared they are for you know life after high school, only 2%. Um, show proficiency. So you have 77% graduation, but a 2% proficiency. So with these kind of um, records and stuff like this, does the county or the district or anything get any, if, if you know anything specific for having higher graduation Oh yeah, you have numbers? to, you, you follow the money. So yeah, you get more funded, don't you? If yep. you have higher okay. gradu- graduation yeah. rates. Funding is related to graduation numbers. Um, when you talk about how much money goes into a district, if you had uh, CMS, I think, had the highest graduation numbers in the state in 2017. So just follow the money. See, I see a lot of people might not know that, you know, 
the fact that the higher graduation rates are, that means that the county's getting more money to do pretty much what they want to do with that kind of money. So mm-hmm. for the people out there, you know, they may hear this and be like, man, I didn't know we get more money for graduating more people. So that's interesting. And the thing is, like you said, you follow the money. Now, just because the district gets more money doesn't mean the schools are getting more money, correct? Correct. Or um, the teachers. No, the teachers, what's interesting, and we were just having this conversation, is that teacher bonuses are related to student performance um, more often than not. So how the students perform on these um, end-of-grade assessments impacts the teacher's evaluations, their um, teacher bonuses. It, but so when you look at the data, students are not performing very well academically. But graduation numbers are up and that's what's impacting like district bonuses and mm-hmm. um per pupil pay so when you like you said you follow the money and you realize it's more political than helping out our kids who need to be prepared to deal with life after school yeah and with the kids that i mentor i see some of those same issues where no child left behind that never meant that we were going to prepare your child to succeed. Right. That means that... We'll that pass them. Yeah, we'll pass we'll your child. We'll get them out of here, yeah. And I think you can only fail within the same school system, what, once. twice? Once? Yeah. So, for example, when I was teaching eighth grade, <clears throat> excuse me, I had a student who was in the eighth grade and reading on a third grade level. However, he couldn't be retained again because he had already been retained. So even though we knew sending him out that this student was reading on the third grade level. That means when he gets to high school, his dropout rate has now, like the chances of him dropping out have doubled because he can't academically perform in high school. He's He was reading on a third grade level. So he won't be able to complete high school level work. But he had already been retained, so we couldn't retain him again. We had to promote him. And that's no child left behind. Yep. You and don't leave a child behind in the literal sense of he's not being retained again and again. However, when you think about is he getting left behind when he gets to high school, what's going to happen to him? He's going to be left behind. Yeah. And I see it even before high school. It's blowing your mind, ain't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. My, my, <laughs> my looks are not. Wow. Yeah, you you went crazy. stale face because when you hear it broken down like that, you think, wow, I thought. Because we all remember the No Child Left Behind. I think most of us were probably in school when yeah. that that was going on. And right. we thought it was the best thing ever. Oh, they're going to prepare us to be the best students ever? No. We're just going to push you ahead. And I see it even before high school, even before middle school. Yeah, it's happening as I early as elementary. I see elementary school students where third, fourth, fifth grade, you know, I come in there to tutor, mentor, help out with, the, with their grade level work. But I can't even help you out with multiplication yet because you don't know how to add. Mm-hmm. I can't help you out with word problems yet because you don't understand reading comprehension. Yeah. So you see it at a very early age. And that and that was one thing that I wanted to touch on also is, you know, some of those differences between what we see now in the school system versus back then. Like versus back back then, one of the things that I noticed as compared to now, the ratios were so much more favorable when we were coming up. Right. versus what it is now when you go in a traditional classroom now and, and i'll speak specifically towards cms because that's where we're at charlotte mecklenburg um you'll have at least 25 to 30 students for, for one teacher yeah there's no assistant teacher anymore there's no it's assistant. very rare it's yeah, very few yeah very yeah. rare you may have some cases here and there but for the most part you really don't see that many assistant teachers anymore right. One of the reasons I think for that is 
schools have been defunded, mm-hmm. especially, well, not all schools, specifically more of the underprivileged schools. And when we say underprivileged, we'll go ahead and clear out the cold word because when we say underprivileged, majority of the times we're talking about black and brown students. Right. So the money has been pulled from these institutions, so they no longer have the same amount of resources to, to teach and prepare a larger number of kids. So yeah, that was one of the main things that just blew my mind is how can one, st- one teacher effectively teach 30 students when a good portion of those students are dealing with behavioral issues, psychological issues that even yep. ha- haven't been addressed or acting out in the classroom, but the teacher, her pay and livelihood <laughs> is based on the academic performance of those very same students. Right. And I mean, that's an interesting point, and I'm glad that you kind of singled out um, black and brown schools because like black and Latinx communities come with a different set of challenges. So when you're teaching um, in those communities, you have socioeconomic um, barriers and obstacles where um, I know my first year teaching, so I'm like fresh out of college, excuse me, and I had a student in my classroom, um, an eighth grade student who told me like after school during tutoring, yeah, my mom's boyfriend molested me. Um, so you have those types of challenges that are going to impact the behaviors you have um, in learning. You have issues where like extreme poverty students who um, there was one instance, it wasn't a student that I had, but just in a case that I came across, um, a student was living out of a U-Haul storage like with their family. So when you have high poverty, um, typically you have a lot of students who single parent households, the um, parents are working two, three jobs. The student is all, may also be responsible for helping to financially contribute. So I encountered a high school student who he was like, yeah, I'm taking credit recovery courses because I couldn't go to summer school. I have to take care. I have eight younger siblings. So you have a, a unique set of challenges. And to your point, the last thing that you need to do is take um, it's almost like taking a bunch of ticking time bombs and putting them all together. And you're taking 30 to 40 at a time and telling one person to kind of manage and navigate that. So it's interesting that you have overcrowded in Title I schools when we know they come with so many challenges. But the other side to that is that there's a teacher shortage. It's hard, like staffing becomes an issue, really high turnover. Um, So it's not like when I was in high school, I could go back years later to my high school and my same teachers would be there. Now, if you're in a Title I school or a high poverty school, you're lucky to keep a teacher for five years. And one of the, a couple of reasons for that the pay is so low. Oh yes, I'm CMS. Rich. Another situation has some of the like Charlotte has some of the lowest teacher pay in the country. Low teacher pay. Um, there's been a huge turnover in bus drivers. I mean, every uh, facilitator, you know, advisor, teacher, whoever within the school system, there's a lot of turnover because the pay is so low. And then you look at what they have to deal with and the expectations that we're putting on those teachers. Right. We're expecting a teacher to teach we're expecting them to be the disciplinarian we're expecting them to raise the kid we're expecting them to be security right we're expecting them to be the counselor we're putting all these expectations but there's no pay that goes along with it and these teachers have families so after a full day of dealing with you know probably at least a good 50 60 kids you know if you count changing classes then they got to go home and deal with their kids so i can understand why there's a lot of a lot of turnover with that so, you saying you got low pay, mm-hmm. 
horrible working conditions. Mm-hmm. I used to date a teacher, and she would work like some long hours, like yeah. doing paperwork and stuff. Yeah. Long hours. Because after school is over, you still got administration. That's stuff. the thing, too. Teaching is one of those jobs that comes home with you. So it's not mm-hmm. like if I work at Verizon's call center, I go to work, I clock in, I clock out, and my job is at, at work. I leave my job at work. Teaching, when you go to work, um, you clock in, you spend all day with kids, executing lessons. Like you say, you're wearing five different hats at any time throughout the day. Um, God forbid you're coaching or doing whatever else. Like I coached step one year. Then you're staying after school. Um, you might still end up staying after school if you decide to do tutoring or any type of instructional support. Then you go home and you have to grade and lesson plan. There's never a break. Right. When you're at work, uh, a typical office job, or, you know, you can use the call center example. Right. You know, you can get up, you know, walk around if you need to, play on your phone, you know, whatever you need to do to decompress. School system ain't like that. Yep. All day, every day. As soon as you get there, you got somebody calling at your name. You got kids in front of your face. You got somebody in front of your face. So much respect and accolades to all the teachers. And the profession isn't like glorified they don't like society doesn't make it a desirable profession like See, I, that's what i want to ask about like so when you're in school let's go back before you even get it when you're in college how do they even get people to come and go to the school of education to teach because to me if i heard all this i'm strand i'm gone i'm not going <laughs> towards education i'm going the other way how does how do they even get people to teach if you can see from news and talking to other people that Going into teaching is not favorable. Well, you pay them. You have these Teach for America programs where students, uh, college students, get uh, basically get their tuition paid for, their college tuition paid for by going to teach in a in an underprivileged school. See, but that's only that's, short lived. That's, that's even that's, that's a misconception. So the misconception is that Teach for America pays your tuition false teach for america gives you what's called an education grant which is essentially they just expedite what if you go through a traditional education program after teaching for if you teach five years in a low-income community you're eligible to have a certain amount of like student loans forgiven or repaid okay um what teach for america does is essentially a similar thing just in a shorter amount of time and with less funding so teach for america might give you an $11,000 education award, um, which goes towards if you decide to like get a master's degree or if you have loans from undergrad, you can put it towards either one of those things. Um, so it's, and you just have to teach for two years in the classroom, stay in the classroom for two years. Most Teach for America teachers stay in the classroom. Um, I would say teachers of color. Most of those remain in the classroom. However, um, like any, profession it's not guaranteed like right. we've talked about some of the challenges so so kind of switching gears here a little bit we've talked about the issues i mean you have underfunded and overcrowded schools you have kids with various home issues psychological issues emotional issues um you have a, a lack of resources in schools we have lower expectation rates. So what do we think is going to happen in those kind of conditions where we're preparing our kids for failure? Because once you finish high school, you got the real world to deal with. Obviously, if the bar is so low that all you need is a, well, no GPA right now, college is 
likely not an option for you. Trade school, potentially, but you still have to have the mindset to go after that. So when somebody doesn't have the options of in front of them, they, they've been placed in the corner or put themselves in a corner to where they don't have any viable options to provide for themselves, what's the next likely option? You're going to get it how you need to. Right. Crime. And that's why we, well, that's why I phrase it, the pipeline, the prison system. That's how a lot of people phrase it. That's how, that's really what we're preparing our kids for. If we're not preparing them for success, which we are not in a lot of these underprivileged schools, we're preparing them for a failure. And failure is that industrial prison complex. And at the best case scenario, minimum wage work. But I mean, you know, when I was in school, and I, I might be dating myself for some reason, but when I was in school, we actually had classes where it taught other stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I, I actually yeah, went your technical to, classes. I went to classes. wood class before mm-hmm. and learned yeah. how to build stuff. They she had laughed, mechanic. It must be old or something. No. <laughs> yeah, I remember that class. I remember I, wood shop. It was a cooking class. Yeah. I was yeah. like, oh, that's home pretty. Ec. I learned yeah, to bake cookies ec. from scratch. See? Me too. That's what I learned. But my thing is, why, why take that out of a system that gives you an opportunity to say, hey, everybody's not going to make it? Well, again, so, you got to follow the money. No That's child left crazy. behind. What they also did was like everything became about standardized testing. Right. Um, and so now the academic experience is no longer let me teach you how to think because that's what's, what's critical critical thinking skills are what are what's lacking in schools mm-hmm. and it became let me teach you how to test because there's so much pressure on teachers test scores test scores test scores what is going to be the emphasis testing mm-hmm. um, there's a whole like block of, oh EOG even in CMS EOG preparation we're getting y'all ready for the end of grade assessment test 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 and, and nobody's pouring into the actual development of the child it's just can you pass this test and though on top of that going back to what we mentioned schools are underfunded so you know several years ago specifically in cms several millions maybe even billions of dollars were pulled from educational funding because the economy was so much in debt so they even a lot of schools now don't even have uh, physical education classes anymore. They only focus on the core curriculum classes, your math, your social studies, you know, your reading, your science. Um, so yeah, a lot of those trade classes that we used to have, your mechanics, your wood shop, your welding, we even had a welding class back in the day. You don't have those anymore. So well, we not- still have these jobs out here to fill though. There's jobs out here we can fill with those particular skills. Of course, the jobs are there, but we're not preparing our, our next generation to necessarily fill those jobs. Now, I will say CMS um, is pushing to add more CTE classes, more career technical education classes. And um, there is like a, they're building some partnerships. I know they have one with Duke Energy in the works. Um, so, I mean, people are saying, because every child realistically, especially when we start talking about black communities, every student does not, one, have a desire to go to college, two, have the resources to go to college. And I think we also have to kill that narrative too of like, oh, you go to college, you get a good job. Um, I mean, go to school, go to college, get a good job. That's not the reality anymore. Sure and so they're adding things like, um, coding classes, which is like I think is, is a big. wonderful idea. I think a coding class should be offered at every high school because that's where most everything is going now. Is yeah, technical. we're going digital. Um, they're offering like courses and like electricians, which is these are necessary things. When you think about what will we need forever, you're gonna need electricity. Um, as we get more digital, you should learn how to code. Um, and I think we really start have start to 
have we have to start sorry thinking ahead and thinking in the present and futuristic um there needs to be workshops on entrepreneurship i say all the time the thing that kills um black people we're consumers we need financial literacy courses um how do you do taxes i had college students um who were doing hr paperwork for my organization they didn't know how to do their tax forms we need those types of things, um, otherwise we're gonna stay behind. An economy or community doesn't exist without those types of skills. So let me ask you this, the name of the episode, Pipeline and Prison System. What are some of the similarities that we see between the traditional education <laughs> system and the industrial prison complex? Sheesh. Well, um, I know it can go a million ways, but you know we'll, we'll hit the highlights. So I'll say two things about that. M.K. Asante, um, in his book, Buck, he says, if schools look like prisons and prisons look like schools, will we become students or prisoners? Um, and I was we studied that over the summer. I ran an organizing academy for kids, and we took them to the juvenile um, jail on Sunset in Charlotte. And I was, like, floored. There were, like, very few differences between there was actually a school inside of the juvenile jail um it had desks it had like full fully functioning classrooms the windows everything looked almost identical when you talk about um school resource officers and the over policing of schools um this concept of what i hate is walking a straight line why these like you're literally um, mirroring some of the same tactics used in prisons yeah, inside code. of the schools. When you talk about dress codes and like, it, especially when you get to uniform schools, these are prison tactics being implemented in schools and it's not the real world. Unless you're working, um, because other than that, you're preparing us for a blue collar profession. Where, what white collar profession makes you wear a standardized uniform? Can't think of one. Right. Unless you're talking about the hospital system. Exactly. Outside of that. Yeah, outside of that, standard corporate America job, you know, you don't have uniforms. Right. So what are you really preparing students for? Where do you see uniforms in blue collar professions or the prison system? And I'll take I'll tell you one for, take it one further. When you go to a lot of these schools, you see all these trailers out back, you know, because the schools are so overcrowded. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, we might have had one or two trailers that were reserved for the special needs students, special ed students. Now that's become the standard for housing students. And when you look at it, when I looked at it, I was like, man, these look just like slave quarters. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're sitting out back, they're on these cinder blocks. Right. They look just like slave quarters. So you got to imagine the effect, the subliminal effect that that has on your psyche when you're going through these same repetitions patterns day in and day out and there's so many similarities and then again we're not preparing our kids for success and we're forcing them into this institution that pretty much mirrors the prison industrial complex there's more prisons being built than schools are actually being built in certain parts of the country so we've talked about the issues you talked about some of the similarities that we see what are some of the solutions that we see to help prepare our students so that they don't end up on that track? Um, the first thing I think we need are like culturally competent teachers. We keep putting, um, it's, for example, when you talk about like lateral entry licensure and, and certification programs, alternative options to certification. Teaching is the only profession really that allows that. 
Would you go to see a doctor who didn't go to medical school? No, no I would not. So why then do we put teachers in front of our kids who didn't get a degree in education? They do that? Yeah. They have lateral entry programs where you can major in you could have majored in math and go to community college and get or take some community college certification classes and get lateral entry certification. Mm. Wow. And so we water down the profession and then you put um, unqualified teachers in front of kids. That's first and foremost. Um, I think we also need to talk about like what's happening or not happening in the home, Um, because realistically, teachers are with kids eight hours a day out of 24 that means the the other what 16 hours are spent where yeah we have to put more like as much if not more accountability on the parents the achievement gap doesn't start when kids get to school it starts before and when i first heard that the first time i heard that i'm like how does the achievement gap start before kids start school we don't have a lot of one pre-k programs a lot of preparatory programs if your kid enters school um in kindergarten and doesn't know how to spell their names um, or recite their abcs they've already started behind so we're not reading with our kids at home we're not teaching them anything i hate it like grinds my gears to see a kid that can whip nene and spit me back (laughs) all the lyrics to little baby's newest hit but can't say their abcs can't spell their name can't read a paragraph or a sentence that that's parenting that's the home that's 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 the the home so it starts it literally starts in the home um if you send your kids to school and expect teachers to raise your child you've are you've done your child a disservice you shouldn't have had a child to begin with go ahead jason so speaking to to the listeners out there that probably have kids and could be listening to this episode like man i got kids that's going to be coming up in this and with you being on the other side of things now do you see more light coming or do you see more darkness <laughs> um i think it takes it's some of these cliches are cliches for a reason it really takes a village like we have to the community has to get back invested in in kids um on any given morning i challenge you at roughly 6 7 o'clock at 7 o'clock on any morning drive in front of the local high school um especially if it's a, a title one a black a predominantly black and latinx high school and watch how many kids walk away from the schools they don't even make it in the front door there was a time where um, i know growing up in our neighborhood like my middle school was right next door to a mall but you could not walk into the front door of that mall during school hours without you needed a pass or a slip mm-hmm. or an adult. Yeah, you had to be in school or you needed something to something say to show you why to you weren't school. right. That no longer exists. Kids can skip school and go hang out wherever um, because we've lost that sense of community. And even if the stores, if I didn't go hang out at a store, I could count on my neighbor saying, oh, Miss such and such, I seen your daughter um, hanging out by such and such during school hours. Like that sense of community, it really is going to take a village. And until we have that, then yeah, things are going to get darker. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, all good points. Love all the insight um you know we're coming up on time so we're going to go ahead and close it out but you know definitely real good dope content so we identified the issues we got some solutions for you so we need to get to work people let's not wait again this is mr no excuses my man jamie and our special guest rika signing off with another episode of the hit and choose podcast if you ever want to be a guest on the show you can find us on ig and facebook 
Hidden Truths Podcast or shoot us an email, thehiddentruthspodcast at gmail.com. As always, kings and queens, stay up, we out.